This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio for the late show uh, with me, Tom Rogers. Really looking forward to this one. Um, I set it up a few weeks ago, and the topic that we're going to be discussing this evening is all around student and parental accountability in education. Lots of questions and I guess lots of potential answers to this one, um, which people may have. Um, First thing we're going to do is discuss the question of, is there a problem? Um, Does something need to change uh, in this regard? Uh, Is accountability skewed towards schools and teachers away from students and parents? Are schools and teachers blamed for far too much in education? Or is that part of the job? Is that what teachers are supposed to do? Um, These are some of the questions we're going to explore first off. Uh, We're also going to think about some of the things that have appeared in the news recently. Uh, So we've had very it's typical really that every every week or so we end up with with new stories around accountability and and responsibility and all these different things in education a few weeks ago there was a story that broke about a school that were forced to lock their toilets during um lesson time and this this brought about a huge level of criticism mainly towards the school for taking that step. Um, Some of the commentary did highlight those who had potentially vandalised the toilet facilities, but much of the commentary actually in the wider media went around um, how that had meant that the school had to do that. The school shouldn't have done that. that. The wider commentary was saying, what should the school have done or not done? in that situation that that was what a lot of the commentary seemed to seem to relate to um and, and a lot of the solutions in that particular scenario was that schools should build more toilet facilities schools should increase staffing levels schools should redesign the toilets to create open plan toilets schools should uh invest in new cctv facilities right and the list went on there was very little about the parents of the students who had vandalized the toilet in the discussion. So do we need to flip the accountability significantly here? You know, that's a question I'm asking. I'm not telling you necessarily the the answer to that. I know I've got my opinions. I'll share those later. But that's the question. Do we need to flip the accountability and how should we flip it? Another scenario that I read recently, a school who were fining parents for not turning up to pick up their students at the end of the school day. Again, I'm not suggesting the right or wrong around this. What I am suggesting or asking is the fact that they've had to go to those lengths of fining parents who don't pick up the children suggests that there's a problem there in the first instance or suggests there is something that needs to be tackled or needs to be needs to be changed um it's it's interesting because in each story there's usually a problem 
And the solution usually rests with the school. Usually rests with what the school can do to make the situation better or easier. Um, another another interesting one was a video that was circulated. And this was just last week uh, with a teacher who had been harangued outside the school gates by an angry parent who had told the teacher that they had failed their, I think it was the son. Yeah, it was. It was the son. That the school and the teacher had failed their son and that the teacher couldn't teach, was terrible at his job. Um, and it was almost sort of semi-threatening, really, the, the, the video that, that was circulated towards the teacher. And a lot of the commentary from teachers on social media suggested that that is not something that was a one-off, that sort of threatening language and approach. Many teachers commented that it might happen over a phone call or an email, social media maybe. Many teachers have mentioned Facebook as a sort of primary social media outlet for this sort of dialogue. So it's really, really interesting to consider, again, What's the solution to this? Um, do we need to dis at least discuss parenting more as a society within education? Um, do we need to address accountability in education? Do we need to address who is accountable for what? Um, we'll talk later on about the research behind outcomes, for example, in schools. Who is responsible for student exam outcomes, that the narrative that's almost been accepted and endorsed by people within education as well, it has to be said, is that teachers are accountable for that. It's, it's a teacher's job to secure the outcomes of the students. You know, the, there is that sort of approach that, that is very strong outside of the education sector, but also in the education sector. There are teachers in it who say, you know, things that, that, that are not like that. But it, I, I wrote an article a few years ago around this in terms of looking at the research behind who 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 is who can pass the exams, you know, who, who what does have the biggest influence. And many researchers have looked at hereditary factors, environmental factors and also the teachers teaching. And much of the research has pointed towards hereditary and environmental factors as the key issues when it comes to exam performance not not school performance in general just talking about exam performance there but that that's that's what the research has flagged up but this again it, it, it no i wondered what other people thought but sometimes feels that that gets buried uh i have wondered in the past whether part of this is about a, each teacher's desire to make a difference and to feel that they're making a difference if <laughs> teachers believe that they are the primary reason that a student fails or passes an exam and they pass does that then create that sense of meaning which every human being absolutely strives for and teachers are no different in fact you could argue that teachers want that even more because they've entered this profession that is just so meaningful so it's something i've questioned before whether whether teachers themselves are sort of 
part of it, part of this this approach to accountability and this approach to who is responsible for what in education. Anyway, that's what the show tonight is all about. You might be listening to this live. Thank you for everyone who's already joined uh, this evening. You might be listening back to this uh, as a podcast. And if you are, welcome. Um, Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in. This is just one of many, many shows we have every single week on TTR. Uh, Hannah's just been on just before me. She's finished about eight minutes ago and she's already joined to listen to this. Hannah, that's commitment. That's that's utter commitment, especially because many people are either on half term or have just gone back to school uh, today. So thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this as a podcast. Thank you for listening live. I've got uh, two guests, but also callers are welcome. Uh, I know Miss T, uh, uh, Miss Turner has already joined as a, as a caller. So we will be welcoming other callers in as we go through. And if people want to contribute, then then please do. The The topic and the theme is parental and student accountability and i've got paul matthews who is a high school teacher from australia i think um and he teaches a bit of humanities i believe uh in in australia so he's going to be going to be joining us we've also got Catherine williams who's an assistant head teacher based in the uk um i'm just going to check that Catherine can hear me Catherine, are you with me yes i am tom hello good evening how are you this evening I'm okay. Inset day today. Um, I've been breathing life into mannequins, and um, oh, yeah, that it's... sounds great. <laughs> the old first day training. Tick that off. Brilliant. And also, we'll just check that I've got Paul here. Paul, are you with me? Absolutely, Tom. Thank you for having me on. Hey, that's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Because I'm. What time is it where you are, Paul? Because mate, I got to tell you, it's uh, it's twenty to seven. So it was an early morning for me, but I think it's a worthy cause. So I'm just fine with that. Well, save that till the end. You might be thinking, Blumenack, I could have had a lie in, you know. (laughs) Um, But listen, uh, a massive thanks, Catherine and Paul, in advance for joining me for this important discussion. It's also worth mentioning that the show this evening is sponsored and brought to you by EduPrize. Um, Ryan is in the space, those people who are listening live. Don't worry, those people who are listening back, we will leave the relevant links in the show notes. But Ryan's listening live. You can see him there in the space. We'll be talking to him later. Um, EduPrize, who are one of the sponsors of this show, work with schools to... And they start with purpose. And basically, it's around digital marketing and communications. And their mission is to support, train and equip schools to reach and engage audiences. And that obviously includes includes parents. If you're interested in finding out more, please follow EduPrize uh, or drop Ryan a DM. He's in the space to find out more about what they can do to help you or your school or where, whatever context you work in uh, to to engage and uh, to reach people and audiences. So that's EduPrize, and you can visit eduprize.co.uk to find out more about the resources that they've got on offer. And we'll be speaking to Ryan a little bit later in the show. I'd also like to thank, oh, and also the EduPrize, what I've just mentioned is pinned to the space, so anybody joining in can access that. It's just pinned now um, so you can see what EduPrize offer. The show this evening is also brought to you by John Cat educational who help us and partner with us for all of our shows on ttr Uh, they are an education publisher of high quality cpd materials so if you're looking for the next step in your professional development then just visit johncatbookshop.com uh catherine um 
I want to start. You're an assistant head teacher uh, in a, in a school. I'm guessing it's secondary. Is it Catherine? No, it's actually primary. Oh, is it? Okay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, didn't realise. Um, I think I think I think I'm hoping to bring a bit of um, parental insight from a secondary perspective, and then also my primary hat on. Um, sort of bring the other side. So I hope I'm useful. Inter inter you will be. You will be. I wanted to ask first of all, um, what I I've mentioned these stories that have arisen recently. Mm. So I thought maybe a good one to start with would be the schools that have had to lock or bar up their toilet facilities in recent weeks. There's been a couple of stories actually on that, and the reaction to those. Um, and, and whether you had any thoughts on that story, first of all, before we get into wider things. Yeah, I just it just makes you feel like the whole system is just so dehumanised. I just, you know, I really feel for kids. I really feel for, for teachers, I really feel for parents. I'm just not sure we're living in great times where we're really sort of valuing um, our kids' basic needs. And for goodness sake, you know, going to the loo is a basic need. But we've got into a situation where we can't even manage um, behaviour going on in bathrooms. And it's it's tough, isn't it? It's really, really tough. Um, there aren't the staff to man the loos. Should there, should we need to have, you know, people manning the loos? Um, mm -hmm. Chatting with friends, um, we've got girls in particular, and been, have been really concerned about this as, as a topic but equally of boys you know I, I had a chat with mine the other day about the loos and it was just mum are you mad like no one goes to the loo at school and um I mean, as, a, as a primary teacher I was just horrified you know if the, the kids in my class don't even ask to go to the loo if they need to go to the loo they just go um but I guess that's the culture that we've built up over time um they don't they don't abuse that um right to go to the loo um it's far from a privilege um mm. but my kids were just horrified that they would i would even assume that they would go to the loo during the school day because they're not nice spaces to be and they're not massively accessible mm. i mean with regards i mean do you think that because ultimately the locking of the toilets in in many of these instances is because of vandalism or or mm. you know defacing the toilets or bad behavior bullying maybe in the toilet area and, and so on but i mean what do you think the solution to this is what what is the solution to this oh, i mean I, I think a lot of the behaviors that are going on in those toilets you know vaping bullying as you say you know antisocial behavior in general it's just a real reflection on where our kids are at. You know, we've got a lot of kids in society who are just being really let down. And, I, and I'm not pinning that let down blame on any one in particular. I think it's really tough being a parent. I mean, it's really tough being a teacher. But what is it that's making our kids so disengaged that they need to leave a lesson and be vaping in the toilets? Um so do you think do you think it's to do at least in part to do with the teaching and the and the actual content that's being delivered i i think we have got a, a large proportion of kids that are entering secondary school really not ready i think they're leaving primary school not necessarily able to read and write in you know, in, the, in the at the standard they should be 
I think that they then get into secondary school and are really disengaged. And I think sometimes the content is just not appropriate for them. Um, of course, there'd be lots of children at the other end of the spectrum who, you know, who are doing it for other reasons. Um, yeah. But we've got, to, we've got to find out, you know, why have we got kids in positions whereby they're leaving classrooms in the first place? You know, what, what, what's going on? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I know Daisy's got a hand up, so I'm going to bring Daisy in and see if she has a, an opinion on this. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to... Um, hi, by the way. Um, good afternoon. Hello. Um, it's a bit late here, so excuse my very tired voice. Um, but when I taught... Um, I taught in a school in North Wales before I moved here, um, and I was both mm-hmm. a head of year and a head of science. And I think it's super interesting getting the parental perspective of it because I, I don't have children, but as a teacher I only obviously see the one side so it's really interesting hearing Catherine talk and hearing her own children say that they wouldn't go to the toilet in secondary school but I always felt in such a difficult position because in the school I was in and I know in others the toilets became genuinely dangerous you know it wasn't just defacing it wasn't just graffiti it was genuinely quite dangerous we had some serious incidents where where children got hurt and you know not just physically but you know very emotionally damaged by by horrible behavior in the bathrooms and and we actually did end up locking the toilets during lesson time um and we got to a point where we had to have a member of support staff whose job was to open and close the toilets when they were needed um and i just always felt so conflicted because i absolutely agree that it it is a fundamental human right you know it's ridiculous that we have to lock a toilet but at the same time you know as part of being a teacher and especially in leadership, you know, you are loco parentis. Like, I have to be able to keep your children safe. And it was getting to a point where, you know, those bathrooms weren't safe unless they were manned. And I just, I, you know, I, I don't have the answer. I don't have the solution. But it is, I think sometimes, unless you've been in that position, it can be quite easy to trivialise it and just think that the school is overreacting. And why do they care about a broken toilet seat? But the reality is actually some of the situations that are happening in those bathrooms are, are not trivial. They are quite serious. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's a safety situation as well as a, as a um, sort of graffiti and vandalism situation. Yes. Yes. I mean, I think there's, a, there's an, array, you know, an array of, of things that, that are forcing schools to sort of act in a way that, that some are. Um, Catherine, I'll come back to you. I, I will come back to you, Daisy, in a minute on that because it is very, very interesting. Um, Catherine, I was going to ask you: Do you think that on on your previous thought about this, with with what you said, do, I mean, how often do you think it is disengagement that that students might sort of want to leave a lesson? Because because in in, in my sort of experience, sometimes lessons that are perceived to be maybe more challenging. Mm. or more difficult uh, for whatever reason. Uh, and that's not necessarily linked to engagement. That could be the level of the work. It could be what the particular task that students being asked to do that they might have to do <laughs> as part of, I don't know, a GCSE or, or whatever, and, and, and sort of tasks that aren't, let's say, as enjoyable as other tasks, but are still absolutely sort of crucial mm. to a child's development and perhaps, I don't know, 
lessons like like for example if if, if a child doesn't like uh, reading or doesn't like writing but a lesson is predominantly around reading or writing then mm-hmm. might the student want to leave but that's nothing to do with the teacher teaching them or the or the, or the lesson or even the content of the lesson that's that's just students wanting to opt out I think that's definitely a factor I mean we we know that special educational needs in this country is just well, it's just dire isn't it you know we just haven't got the support that a lot of these kids really need and you know you can totally understand you know if the kids are feeling overwhelmed that they can't access the learning any opportunity to get out of there they're going to take um i don't you know that doesn't account for why they would then go to the bathroom and um graffiti yeah. Yeah. but i definitely think we need to consider that some of our children are really struggling to stay in the classroom and there just isn't the support for them um, in the way that there should be. I mean, my son said, I said to my son the other day, I said, how, how do you actually go all day with, without going to the loo? And you know, I, did, I did kind of reflect on it afterwards and thought, you'd make, you'd make a brilliant teacher. <laughs> I mean, we're the be- we have the best bladders ever, don't we? Um, but he just said to me, mum, I don't drink. And you, know, you just kind of think, crikey, how is this happening? That, you know, my child's going to school and not drinking all day because they need to avoid so badly going to the bathroom but yeah I I absolutely think that we're not providing the right education for, for some groups of, of students and, and I and I think you know the vast majority of the time we are but I think without doubt we we know that there are some children disengaged because they haven't got the skills that they need and they're, they're not coming in ready. What should happen where a student does uh, deface or graffiti school property whether that be toilet areas or whatever mm. um what should happen if that is proven with the student and the parent what, what's the solution to this because we've talked a lot already in the first 20 minutes about what schools should do what the government should do funding and so on but we haven't talked about the parents and the students yet that's what i want to do have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.withaslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Right, you're wrong. It's a really important skill that you know parents need to instill in their children but also um, schools need to also feel that they can hold children um, to account for those actions. Um, and there's lots of creative ways school, obviously schools can do that if parents are less supportive. But I definitely think we've got to get back to a time where kids put things right where they've gone wrong. I mean, can, can you give me some sort of... Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll bring Paul in. Cause Paul has, has been very patient. So I'm going to bring Paul in. Paul, good evening. In Good evening. I was, uh, well, yeah, it's morning and I was bursting at the seams, mate. So I'm really glad you brought me off right. the bench. I want, I want you to tell me any of your thoughts so far, because we've had 20 minutes discussion so far. 
Well, absolutely. Look, um, I really appreciate what Catherine is saying about meeting the needs of every student. That's that's vital, and we want to make sure our educational programs are as accessible to as many people as possible. However, I think we might be discussing two separate questions here, Tom. One yeah. question is, how accessible are our learning programs to students? Yeah. Um, another question is, who is responsible for ripping a bathroom stall apart? Okay. So yeah. we, we want to make our lessons, as I said, as engaging as possible. But it's not up to us to prevent students from pulling a sink out of the wall with really engaging lessons. I just simply don't think that's something you can lay at the feet of the teacher. Absolutely. Um, students have been disengaged for centuries, probably millennia, right? That yeah. we, we've had students um, sitting there picking a scab or staring out a window or having a hard time. There's no doubt about that. But it seems to me, Tom, and I'm in a bit of a different context to you, so I don't have my finger as on the pulse as, as you and Catherine would, but um, children who come to a loose end who then just start ripping apart school facilities, that doesn't seem like it's hundreds of years old. That actually seems pretty recent. Would I be right in thinking that? Well, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, uh, Catherine, do you want to answer that one? I mean, I would, I would personally say, say yes. I think it. Is. I, I, I think it will have happened in the nineteen sixties and seventies in in Britain for sure. But I, but I do think maybe the prevalence of things like this has probably gradually increased but i don't have any scientific data on that catherine i definitely think it's increased i remember at primary school being the um i mean one of the girls going to the loo and it was like it was the safe place to be put your hands under the dryer just to keep warm it was mm. that place to be um i know lots of primary schools have done lots of work on improving toilets they've got the kids in kids have designed them they made them you know pretty nice spaces to be um, not quite the days of the Harrods um, attendant on the door with a range of aftershaves to sample, although maybe that's the answer. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, reclaiming spaces for students is really important. But I definitely agree with Paul that I don't think this was something we saw a lot of previously. And maybe the media in itself is hyping it up and making it worse. Mm, Paul, anything to sort of come back on that? Is that what you thought Catherine would say? <laughs> it is, it is. And Catherine seems like a good operator, so that makes a lot of sense to me. Look, I think one of the key things here, Tom, is you kind of get the school environment that you work for as students. Right? If, if you're a student body who's taking good responsibility, taking accountability and ownership, well, then your place, your school is going to be a wonderful spot to be. The fact of the matter is, I understand, I actually strongly sympathise, this might be a terribly unpopular opinion, I strongly sympathise with the schools who have locked their toilets during class time. Mm -hmm. um, what is the one thing that schools are always complaining of not having? It's money. It's money. It's funding. Now, if you're, if you're faced with the opportunity, say, okay, well, either I could put four new sinks in the grade seven toilets or we can fund extra learning support for these people. I know what I'd be choosing as a school. I know what my core business is. Now, of course, you want to have people being able to take care of basic biological necessities. But from what I understand, the locked toilets were still accessible by a key. There was just a few more logistical hurdles that a student had to jump through. 
Now, far from ideal, of course, but if it's between that and having your um, toilets look like a bomb went off and having new sinks pulled out of the wall as soon as they're put in, I actually really do strongly sympathise with the people who've locked the toilets. I mean, that leads me nicely on to my next question. And Paul, I'll ask you first, and then I'll open this up to Daisy and Catherine as well. Um, do you think, as a teacher, and we are Teachers Talk Radio, and we have three teachers here, which is fantastic. Um, Paul, you're, you're a current teacher. The first thing I was going to ask is, give me an example of a time where you've been frustrated, maybe, by lack of parental or student accountability. And the second part of the question is, what levers or tactics or policies or strategies would you like to see to address um, if you perceive there to be a lack of accountability for students and parents? Sure. Look, answering out of my context then, Tom, one of the areas where I find partnership with parents is most important is the area of uniform. I think uniform is really indicative of the health of the school by and large. Are students proud to come to our school? Well, that's a, that's a question you can often answer by looking at the state of the uniform. Now, uniform can be something where students, for whatever reason, they want to make a name for themselves. They want to stand out in the way that they dress. That's a conversation I often have with them. I say, look, I'm happy for you to stand out. I love students who are unique. But let's talk about more significant ways you can do that than just what you wear. Let's talk about how you can be a unique individual, um, how it can go beneath the superficial. So we have a uniform policy as a school uh, and parents are really actually the ones who sign the uniform policy when they, uh, when they are admitted, when the family is admitted to the school. And so I find that parent partnership in getting the student to do something as simple as come to school um, with socks without logos, come to school in the right coloured um, uh, undershirt, having the polish shoes, these sorts of things. Now, I know that sounds really minor, Tom, when you, when you compare it and sort of contrast it with some of the things that have been in the news. Um, but I've found that to be an area where if I'm able to have genuine partnership with parents, well, we're able to do some really great heavy lifting. So how, how do we address that? How do I actually get parents on board? I find most of the time it's actually better done in a face-to-face -face meeting. I reckon one... Mm. 20-minute face-to-face meeting is worth about 25 um, learning management system sort of notes that might fly off if I flag a student with poor uh, uniform or if I send, you know, five emails. Really, face-to-face -face meetings are incredibly important. And that's because I think key to partnership with parents is trust. They want to know that I'm not a disciplinarian who just loves pulling people up on having the wrong socks. They want to know that I'm actually there wanting the same thing that they want for their students, um, which is actually that they become someone who takes great pride in who they are and where they've come from and the organisations that they're a part of. So all that to say, um, I really think building relationship, building trust in a face-to-face -face way, if possible, with parents is a really high-value proposition um, for those mm -hmm. wanting to get some good culture change happening in their school. Thank you. Daisy, uh, if you're still there, uh, which you might yeah. be. Yes, she hasn't fallen asleep yet. Um, I was going to say, can, can you tell me, same question to you, one example, if you can, of a time where you've been utterly frustrated by, by lack of student-parent accountability, uh, if there is one, and how you would redress 
that balance or create a situation where there was more student or parent accountability? Yeah, so I I mean, I could give countless um, accounts of this. Um, you know, when I was ahead of year, I've, I've phoned parents about graffiti, damage, fighting, whatever. And I've been met with, what do you want me to do about it? Um, what, mm. what, what, what are you going to do about it? Um, mm. And, you know, and, and my answer is always, listen, like, 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 I'll do what I can. But I really need that reinforcement from you. Like, I really need, you know, there to be, could we work up like, like some sanctions at home that then, you know, if they, for example, we use like achievement points and if they get achievement points, they can get a reward in school and then you can back that up at home. And, you know, I've had parents who, um, have completely refused to engage because I totally agree with Paul. Face to face is so important. My job now, I'm a head of science now, but but I, I also am an NQT mentor or an ECT mentor, I should say. And one of the things I always say to um, ECTs is, um, if you can speak to a parent rather than send an email, you'll normally get a much better response because you know tone is important and things like that. So it's. I absolutely agree with Paul that that face-to-face meetings are so important, but I've had parents who just don't turn up. They're not, bot- you know, they, they just won't, they won't engage. Um, there's messages. Is that where, I mean, taking the example of like parents, even, and this is more secondary, yeah. I guess, than primary, maybe. But take the example of secondary, uh, you think of the parents' evenings where you want particular parents to turn up and they don't turn up, right? Uh, or meetings, like you just said, where they, you know, you schedule a meeting and they don't turn up. Whatever it yeah. is, right? Phone calls, not answering a yeah. phone call. You try five times. What happens then? You know, yeah. what, what, what happens after so, that? I I read some research from UNESCO, and basically UNESCO was saying that fines don't no. work. They, they were okay. saying that fines, whether it be a small fine for turning up, you know, I, I mentioned the example earlier of a head who'd introduced a five pound fine for students uh for, for parents turning up late to pick up the child yeah right um and uh and, and basically unesco is saying that that sort of thing overall doesn't work but a lot of education systems do use things like that um i mean some of them even have uh, you know um, france as an example has two years jail time for parents who's who's student uh, maximum two years for students who truant mm. who, who who um who don't turn up basically um uh, but but I wondered, what, you know, if we're taking fines out of it and sort of those kind of punitive measures, if you like, what else have we got? So the, the answer is not a lot for, for, from my experience. You know, I can I can put things in place within school. You know, we can do restorative work. We can do we can do detentions if we're going to go down that route. We can do, you know, and um, things like that. But the, but I think the problem is the advice is so conflicting in terms of you know okay well okay we're going to say them because for that poor behavior we're not going to let that student go on the trip we're not going to let that student do that and you're met with abject horror of how can you deprive that student from that experience you know you're you're damn it okay well that student's not going to be allowed to go to the bathroom during lessons now because they consistently deface things oh you're you're withholding their human rights and and so it's kind of you feel like you're stuck between a rock and a hard place because the school can only do so much. And then and then you're left with 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 very little options. And unfortunately, you know, it, it does seem and again, this is my experience purely, but it does seem as though as though when you have some parents who are so disengaged, the message at home is that it doesn't matter, that school isn't important, that 
they they don't care and the so therefore that just gets reinforced with the student i've had active scenarios where i've put a detention in place for a student and a parent that i can never get hold of doesn't answer emails doesn't answer the phone you know even to the extent of doesn't answer the door for an educational social worker and things like that has then phoned in and said my child's not going to that detention so they're leaving on time you know when you're in that situation yeah. i just i just don't i don't know what the next solution is because yeah. because where do you go from there if 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 that is and unfortunately what i believe to be getting slightly more common is we're encountering that behavior and that interaction at an earlier age so when i first started teaching which by no means was that long ago but usually your most difficult students especially with parental engagement were your year 10s and 11s where potentially the parents felt like they were old enough mm -hmm. to be more independent mm -hmm. and in recent years it has been it has been down to sort of year seven and eight where you're encountering that and that's very difficult because then you've got five years with a student who has no respect for school and five years with a parent you can't engage with so I, it's a rock and a hard place for me I, I, I don't know what the answer is but I've deeply sympathize with with these schools because because what else are they supposed to do as paul said you know the money's limited and if they're replacing bathrooms if it's coming down to board pens or toilets well th there's only one choice i mean it's interesting i'm looking forward to bringing bringing ryan on in about 15 20 minutes who's going to be talking about um how he and and edgy prize try to foster parental engagement build links in the community which, you know, can support, I guess, situations like that, or at least try to make it uh, happen less often, let's say. maybe that, And I'm sure there's other organisations out there as well, whether that be charities and so on, that maybe could support schools in that regard. But it's, it's a difficult one. It's a really difficult one. Catherine, any, any thoughts on that? Because we've sort of got to that point where we've said, right, this can happen. And Daisy's made a number of brilliant points there. So what's what's the I mean, you, the only solution and, you know, that, 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 that this sounds really confrontational to you, Catherine, it wasn't supposed to. Uh -oh. I said the only solution you've offered, it wasn't supposed to sound like that. But the only thing, the thing that I've heard you mention was lesson content and curriculum. Well, uh, but I'm, I'm sort of saying in the scenario that Daisy has just said. Yeah. I, I don't I, I personally, I don't by i'm sort of on the on the line of maybe paul and De paul i don't know if daisy thinks this but what paul was saying earlier in terms of i i don't think that this is to do with the the, the generally i mean obviously there'll be exceptions but generally i don't think that the accountability for poor student behavior or poor parent behavior mm -hmm is to do with the teaching and learning generally generally I, I don't but i think the i think where the problem lies is in society in general so i think i think some of our most tricky hard to engage families you know some of their parents they they are really struggling they they really struggle at school themselves very often and they're often quite intimidated by the education system i think you know, and my nan is 95 and she said to me the other day, she said, Catherine, I'm so glad I, I raised my children in a time that you're not. She said, I would never want to raise my children now. You know, it's, I think we have to remember that parents, 
the, the job of being a parent has got so much harder there just aren't the support systems for parents now so you know in, in the primary sector we have kids coming in that can't speak um because parents don't know how to speak to their children anymore um we've got kids that aren't toilet trained and you know you can bet your life that those are the children that you're having issues with in in secondary schools and one of the big big issues I find with parents that are really disengaged is that they need to feel that teachers are human you know and I've said to so many really tricky families before I'm a working mum I get it you know most families now both parents are working they just don't have the same amount of time that parents generations ago had um and I'm, you know, I'm massively passionate about Sure Start. You know, midwives would look after babies for much longer. Health visitors would be involved in, you know, children's early years for much, much longer. You know, nowadays, parents who are struggling with their children's behaviour from the beginning just don't have anyone to turn to. Um, grandparents aren't around to help. They're now working. Um so a lot of these really vulnerable families who, who um, you know, who you guys have spoken about already, you know, they are incredibly vulnerable and there just isn't the wider support system. So I think very often we lose them because they are intimidated by education. They don't have the, parent, the parenting skills that past generations have had and they, and they lose respect because they're just they're terrified of how to engage in something they don't understand i guess my challenge though catherine would be to that is that things like sure start as much as i agree actually with what you've just said there in terms of you know programs like that being able to maybe help or whatever Mm. but but there was a time when none of that existed but grand and grandma would pass that information down to to mum who would then have confidence and instill that in her children you know? um, but is that does that come to values though rather than uh, rather than anything else yeah because that's not to do with for me that's to do with the values which have been either taught or passed on within within the home rather than the strength of external programs or providers in in so so then again it comes back to and, and what we're talking about here is like, in my opinion, this is just me talking now, is like those more like fundamental values. Well, I'm not talking about like, oh, we need people to, you know, explore the diversity of their consciousness or something. I'm literally talking about do not destroy buildings. Right? <laughs> Things like that, right? Have we lost that sort that. of basic mm. human thing of if you do this, this is a bad thing. I'll bring, <laughs> go on, Catherine, sorry. Yeah, but those conversations happened around a dinner table. You know, nowadays, kids are getting home and the house is empty. The parents are both working. Those conversations in a lot of households just aren't happening. But I don't know, again, though, Catherine, I mean, we we could argue that both parents have been working for for decades. I mean, you could, you, you know, go back to the, I don't know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. I mean, both parents were working. And I'm, you know, I don't know. I, I think there has been a very big societal shift mm. in part by, you know, financial situations, you know, the cost yeah. of kids and nursery nowadays, et cetera. 
I, there's definitely less conversations happening in households because we know that because kids are coming through with such poor speech and language. I yeah. think conversations and that um, pride and care, uh, I just think it's part of a much, much bigger problem in society. Mm. I, I'm going to bring Paul in in a second, but just before I do, uh, just to mention this episode or show on Teachers Talk Radio is supported by EduPrize. You can check them out on the pinned tweet, which is at the top of the space. We thank them very much for partnering with us on this show. Um, and they, they work especially with, with helping schools to increase pupil admissions, improve recruitment numbers, raise the profile, build links with the parental community, all those all the things really we're, we're discussing today. So if you're interested in that, Ryan, who is actually in the space, if you're listening live, and many people are, thank you very much for tuning in, by the way, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this discussion as much as I am. If you're interested in talking to Ryan, just pop, pop uh, click on his profile, give him a follow, drop him a line on there. Uh, Paul, I'll bring you in now. Thanks, Tom. Look, I think Catherine's absolutely right, and you're right, when it comes to the fact that there are broader societal forces at play here. Now, I should preface this by saying I am a professional teacher. I'm an amateur, a rank amateur sociologist. So, look, I'm just <laughs> going to call it as I see it. Um, the fact of the matter is our communities are less stable and families are more transient than ever as best I can tell. Mm. Now, there are some really good parts of that. And the sort of, there's the sex appeal, if you will, of being able to live anywhere or go anywhere or work anywhere. It's never never been easier to travel to a different continent. Talking about Paul, when can I get out of the UK to Australia? Because my partner keeps... keeps... (laughs) Come over, mate. I tell you, this is the best place in the world. If I can live anywhere, (laughs) I'd live here. Sorry to interrupt. Carry on. (laughs) No trouble. Um, And so, look, there are many parts of that which are fantastic. We can explore this great world that we've been given, and that's a beautiful thing. However, there are opportunity costs to uprooting your family and moving elsewhere. Um, So you might have, you know, a fantastic new job that you've moved for, um, and there might be a whole bunch of really great aspects of the new country you live in. But you realise, as we've been talking about, oh, grandparents have traditionally done a lot of heavy lifting. Uh, community groups have traditionally mm. done a lot of heavy lifting too. Church. And all of a sudden, yeah, church, absolutely. All of a sudden, you find yourself a little bit dislocated. So while the move might look really good on Instagram and everyone's cool with you sort of moving to Mallorca and taking this great new position, actually, you don't have many friends, your family's back on the other side of the world, and you both get home from work and you are too tired to talk to the kids. And so I'm not saying that that's uh, a, a terrible thing per se, being able to move and live wherever you want. All I am saying, Tom, is that there are associated costs with that. There are opportunity costs. So we've got to ask ourselves as a society, not just as educators, what do we value? What do we value? Do I value having a genuine tribe of people helping me raise my two sons? Absolutely. That's great. What does that mean? Well, it means I'm not going to move to the UK anytime soon. Now, that's just that's just the cost of doing business. Does that make sense? Yeah, like the UK is too expensive to live. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I think that's what you um, mean. Um, and and if, I, if I may just say one other thing, Tom. Yeah, go. Um, it's really, when we're talking about parental engagement, um, I think it's really easy for us to gravitate to the hardest, gnarliest, 10% of relationships in a school, mm-hmm. which are really not going to work that well, no matter how much elbow grease we put into it. 
the way I sort of see things is like a spectrum. So you've got 10% of families and they're going to be great families. They're going to be solid gold. And even at a school that's not performing well, they're going to buy in with all their strength, right? And then on the other side, you've got 10% of families who it's, let's be honest, you're going to have a very, very hard time. It's going to take a disproportionate amount of resources to bring them on site. What we can neglect though, Tom, is the middle 80%. And I think they're the ones we have to bring on site. They're the ones that when they come to our school, we have to say, look, it's really important that you understand uh, you are not consumers. You are co-workers. Right? You are not getting the product of education from us. You are actually a co-worker with us in education. That's key. So you might not be able to win those gnarly 10%, but I think there's that 80% butter zone, that sweet spot where they're open to being convinced. They just perhaps haven't thought about education like that before. So if you're able to change their understanding, their sort of philosophy of education so that they don't see themselves as consumers, but they do see themselves as co-workers, well, I think that's going to really move the needle in your educational community. Wow. Really, really, really interesting. Daisy's got a hand up. Daisy. So I I totally agree. And like I think that I, you know, everyone's seen that poster that's like it takes a village, you know, to, to, to raise a child. Um, my question is, or my feeling is, when did the school become the entire village? Because that is sometimes how it feels now. Nathan, but... Nathan make a quote card out of that. It's too good to not. What yeah. was that's a great one. Be- because that, that is how it feels. And I know this is this is somewhat off topic, but but bear with me. But, you know, in the recent years, you know, schools with teachers now, I mean, we are counsellors, we're CAMS workers, we're doctors, we're social workers, we're parents. You know, we've got we've got all of this sort of burden and teachers have always done exceptional work in the community, exceptional work with with supporting these students. But when did it get to the point where the line stopped with us? Um, and and as much as yep, society's changed and and there's all of these massive huge factors you know the economic stress on parents the social stress on parents now in terms of a lack of support a lack of the the, of the healthcare visitors but when did at what point can the teachers no longer take that responsibility on like as much as I totally empathize with those problems I also think that doesn't mean we can put it on the teacher's toes. And if we bring it back to the whole point of this, which is where does the line stop for accountability? We're just so far past what's physically doable for these teachers in terms of the amount of accountability they're taking. And as you mentioned at the start, you know, where the, where that, that that video of the, of, of the young teacher and he's he is being absolutely sort of taken down by this parent and, I totally appreciate the frustration of that parent in terms of in terms of their child not achieving what what maybe was expected or or what or what that parent wants but you can see the level in in that of the expectation from parents that it all falls on the teacher's foot and it's well what more can the teacher do in in, in the school what more can the leaders be doing to, to pick up the burden or to pick up the slack that is being left with these gaps in society. Because I, as much as every teacher I'm sure empathizes and wish they could fix all of those problems for these students, no one loves their students more than, more than teachers do, but it's just not doable. 
they just they can't do any more most of them you know they're already you know it's already normal for 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 teachers to buy food into the classrooms it's already normal for for teachers to to work through their breaks and their lunches it's already normal to have parent meetings after school after their working hours all of that and i think maybe done. also that that through that process and through that happening is there now a greater sense of entitlement is there now a greater sense absolutely. of absolutely this absolutely. is normal this is normal this is what we should have yeah this is what should happen yeah um, totally. school school should be available to me and teachers should be available to me from seven yeah. o'clock in the morning till six o'clock at night and yeah. maybe even on weekends too yeah and, I mean, and ask yeah. any teacher how many parent emails they've had late at night at, at the weekend and then when they get into work the question you know maybe they phone the parent i've had this oh why why is it taken three days for you to get back to me well because two of those days were saturday and sunday you know, why is why is my child not had their mock paper marked in 24 hours? Why is this not, you yeah. know, these these things. And, you know, um, I had parents. So I taught I always do breakfast club before the exams, you know, and I've had parents just checking, you know, is breakfast. You know, this isn't a, this is me. This isn't a school thing. Mm. This is something I did. And it's, you know, why don't you do that all the time? Why is breakfast club, you know, why is that not all the time? Because it, it it just isn't, you know, I think you're right. And I think it also comes back to this thing that I can't stand, which is the fallback on it's a calling. It's a calling. You know, teachers, we do it because we love it. We do it because we love it. Yeah, we do. But there has to be some boundary there. There has to be. We can't take all the I mean, think of the emotional burden that is on, on, on those teachers, especially teachers who are young. You know, the emotional burden of feeling physically responsible for the well-being of that child and solely responsible for it. That's a massive carry in to, to have, a, a, you know, at any point in your career. That's it's huge. I mean, one of the things that, that some sort of advice that was given to me, and I can't remember who gave it, but it was very good, was in class when a student says, why haven't you marked these? Uh, or... Uh, have say they say have you marked these yet the day after they've done the test or something like that it, you don't necessarily have to give a full explanation every time you say no <laughs> yeah know, like yeah like you could just say no i haven't <laughs> whereas i think the natural thing is to say no i haven't because and to give almost like this full justification as to yeah. as to why you as a teacher haven't done something maybe this comes back to the sort of authority of the teacher or the school or the or the, you know we talked earlier about societal norms like that sort of um you know you think about i'm not saying this was this was better or worse by the way but you know you think about the state the church schools uh, the police whatever whatever those societal establishment organizations are that had maybe that i mean did they have more authority you know they probably did you know yeah. uh, the uh, 30 or 40 years ago some of the some of the side effects of that might not have been great because that that authority may be allowed you know certain individuals or certain organizations or certain things for things to happen that were wrong but on the flip side as a general thing it probably helped to avoid some of the the situations that we're, we're talking about here anyway i'll bring uh paul in because he's got his hand up and then i'll i want to ask Catherine about this as well and before paul talks just to say thank you ever so much to everybody for tuning in uh we've got noreen we've got don 
Uh, Don, good good evening to you. Oh, morning to you. He's in he's in Indianapolis, so that's uh yeah, that's a fair stretch away. Uh, Nathan is here. Woody, Miss Lloyd, Paul, Brent, Gary, Miss Matt, Miss Wilson, Nicholas, Paul, uh, Ryan, Maisha, if that's how you pronounce it. Sorry if it is not. Lindsay, Leanne, D, and so many more. Um, uh, as well, so it's great to see everybody here and, and and sort of joining in this conversation. Paul, I'll br- I'll bring you in. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, look, I just wanted to. That's a really good point that was made about not necessarily feeling like you have to give a full response to everyone. I would also add in that sort of situation, why haven't you marked these things, for example? And that's one that you get occasionally. It's key to any community is a sense of the understanding of the basic norms and habits of that community, isn't it? So expectations and understandings of what the normal behaviours are are central. So I think um, clear boundaries allow parents to feel at home and allow students to feel like they know what's going on. And that sort of circles back, doesn't it, to the very point of this conversation, increasing accountability. So, for example, at my school, we say, we will get your work back to you marked in two weeks. Okay, it will be back in two weeks. Now, what does that stop? It stops saying, well, why haven't you got this back? Or why haven't you got that? I might as well, a student tried that on with me the other day. And I said, why haven't you submitted your history assignment yet, mate? And he said, well, it's not due yet. And I said, exactly. Your, your marked essay isn't due yet either. So having really simple structural expectations in place, this is how long things take to mark. This is when we run Breakfast Club. Having those expectations in place, I think it aids clarity and clarity and clear expectations helps build community and increase buy-in. I mean, should Paul, should schools stand their ground more than they do? Or do you think that, that they need to sort of adapt? I mean, give you a good example here is I remember um, David Moyes, uh, I think it was David Moyes, football manager for anybody of our international listeners. I know we've got listeners in Iran and, and, and India and all over the place. So if you don't know who David Moyes is, he's a Scottish football manager in, in, in the UK. And he was talking about how the management of young players in the professional game has evolved in the same way that society's evolved. So whereas before, a manager might have sort of been much more direct and maybe much more uh, uh, front-facing, let's say, in their in their criticism or their instructions or whatever it was they were their feedback. Um, nowadays, it has to be done in a way that is much more around about or much more, you know, they have to think very carefully about the way they do things or they will lose the player. I don't mean lose the player from the club. I mean, lose the relationship with the player if they don't sort of adapt to to the way things are now. Now, I'm not saying whether that's a good thing or bad thing, but I'm just sort of throwing that in when it comes to schools sort of being willed by the media or by parent groups or whoever it is, or or sometimes internally by the teaching staff, whoever it is, schools being willed to change their approaches. Should schools stand their ground more, maybe? Well, it's it's interesting that you talk about how relationships with young people have changed over the years. I don't know anything about soccer, Tom, but I I do. This is universal. This is this is this is anything. Of course, of course. All all I was going to say is I know I know cricket. 
And there was a, a rather embattled at the moment uh, cricket player, Justin Langer. He was a former Australian cricket yeah, player. I know him, yeah. um, he said when he was a player, he would address the senior players in the team by their last names. He called them Mr. War or Mr. Boone. Yeah. He said when he became a coach of an Australian side, not only was that not happening, he had every single player cry in his office in the first year. He said, we are dealing with a completely different kettle of fish here. Now, I don't have a one-size-fits-all panacea for that, Tom. What I would say, however, is the people, although I haven't necessarily even liked it at the time, the teachers that I go got on well with at school were the teachers who let me know exactly where I stood with them. And the colleagues that I get on well now with are the ones who let me know where I stand with them. Clarity aids good relationship, right? So if I... I can't, I can't help it if I'm trying to be clear with a student, trying to give a, a logical and sort of proportional consequence for their actions, say. But if I've, if I've been able to have a meeting with the whole class at the beginning of the year and say, look, these are my expectations for you. This is what appropriate behaviour looks like in my classroom. If we're able to discuss and agree to that, well, what I do know is that when I have to sort of pull those strings later on in the year, and say, look, that was actually inappropriate behaviour, they may not like it, but I'm not taking them by surprise. So that's something that will help them not feel targeted, not feel picked on, just feel like they're part of a community who has standards because standards are key to valuing everyone who's a part of that group. Catherine, I want to I bring you back in on this. Um, do you think, I mean, we're sort of dwelling into, we've talked a little bit about how we all sort of agree that society has changed in, in various ways and forms in terms of parental routines, behaviours, you know, all these different things, but also in terms of maybe norms, right? Mm. Do, I mean, this is obviously digging into like social constructs and all sorts of things. I mean, it's, it's much deeper than we can probably go here. It, it, these things are, are huge, you know, much bigger issues. But I did read a comment by someone called Peter DeWitt, who's an American consultant, and he said, I worry that by responding, by asking about parental accountability as an easy deflection to meeting the needs of students in a school, um, sometimes it comes down to that people don't understand what social emotional learning entails. So again, that sort of goes into what you were saying earlier in terms of, is this about schools having to adapt to this new world and 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 sort of adapt and and i'm sure peter would argue get better right there will be other people who will say hang on a minute we need to sort of press the rewind button a little bit what what myself and daisy were talking about earlier i wondered where you sort of stand on that do you feel that schools need to adapt to this new norm more i don't think schools I, I think the schools are really good at trying to understand. And, you know, the vast majority of people who work in schools also have kids, you know. So, so as, you know, as educators, we get it from a parental perspective as well. Um, I think, you know, I talked earlier about my grandma's generation and what they were really good at as, as you know, a society which was probably less complicated, didn't have social media for a start, which I think mm. huge. Huge impact. Huge impact. But they, they very much knew the rules, and even if you didn't like the rules, you followed the rules. And I you know, I couldn't agree more with what's been said tonight about kids and families need to know what the rules are. 
And I think schools definitely have have a responsibility to make sure more than ever in a world where things feel rocky schools stand really firm and that means senior leadership teams sticking by those school rules and backing up their staff and right Mm -hmm. from the very beginning when, when you send your child to that school you know what the rules are yeah and you and your child know what those rules are and regardless of whether you think some of them are a little too much you know my son's school you must not have a haircut below a grade two and you know that's the rule and you know, as I said to him on on day one that's the school you chose so that's the rule you follow yeah, yeah. same time as expecting schools to step up and provide you know everything, everything that we do we have to look at society the things that we've cut back on so I mentioned earlier about sure start centers you know we've lost over a thousand sure start centers And a report out recently said that they predict um, last year alone, the lack of sure start centres meant that five and a half thousand hospital admissions had happened as a result. Now, that's huge. You know, we're, we're not caring in society for families. We're not making it easy for kids to thrive. And that is absolutely not at the doorstep of schools. It's at the doorstep of, of, of government above. You know, either we care and value for our families or we don't. And right now, I don't think our government really care about children. And I don't think they really, really care about families. And, you know, ultimately, what message are we sending? I mean, I sort of get all that, but but to sort of play devil's advocate, you know, um, like we sort of came back to earlier, the sort of basic uh, sort of fundamental values and, and sort of um, things that you should or should not do, um, you know, whether that be smashing up a toilet cubicle or uh, telling a, an, an adult to F off if you don't like something they've said or whatever, right? These sort of things that are, you know, that that... that most people would would sort of go that's wrong right whatever whatever the context whatever the whatever the reasons are you know like in a in a sort of i say whatever the context depends what's happening but you know what i mean right nine times like 99.9 percent of the time there's certain things that we know are wrong right Mm. and there isn't an excuse for them if you don't like something there's still not an excuse to smash something up or or hit someone or or whatever right that's I, I personally, I don't know if that is a governmental thing or a a school thing or a or a or a, a money thing or a or a thing. It's like a, that's a values thing. But, I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't know how what programs we could introduce or what money we could invest that would solve that problem. Because well, I we, genuinely, I genuinely think we could throw more and more at it, mm, and I don't know if it'd solve that. We we could have leaders that follow the rules. If we have leaders that follow the rules, we have children that follow the rules. You know, ultimately, if MPs can't follow rules, how can we expect children to? Um, and, I, and I do think schools could be playing a much, much bigger part in reinforcing the rules that they put in place. And I, and I appreciate my primary hat on, um, who doesn't have to carry out a huge amount of detentions after school. That's easy for me to say. But, but I do think we need to be providing stability by following through with the rules. We need to be setting, we need to be setting the standard, don't we? And but but that is increasingly difficult when children are looking to role models 
such as footballers, as you mentioned earlier, you know, if they're not having to follow the rules, why should children have to follow the rules? If, if but, the... but then, but then I suppose you could also argue that, that there's never been sort of a, a slate of ever since the dawn of time. There's never been leaders in charge of countries who've been, you know, bastions of, of sort of um, moral integrity. Um, I don't think we can rely on other human beings to dictate what what everyone in the society should do. I, I don't I don't know if we can like use that as an excuse to say, oh, do you know what? Because an MP lied, it's it's sort of permissible that you've decided that it's okay to smash something up or to tell someone in authority to f off. I don't I don't know. Like I don't necessarily believe that because if if we were to go back to like the nineteen thirties, for example. There was a lot of leaders who are who are probably much worse than what we've got now in certain respects. So it's like, I don't know. Like, I don't necessarily, I get what you're saying. I completely understand, like, why, you know, your explanation. Mm. I'm just not sure I totally buy into that. I think as, as an issue as to why mm. or as an excuse as to why. I, I don't, yes, feeling disenchanted completely yes feeling hard done by yeah yeah but then acting on it by actually doing something that that you that everyone should be able to know is fundamentally wrong like i don't know i don't know anyway <laughs> um dom has called in before i go to paul then maybe back to Catherine. then i've got um daisy with a hand up as well don do you want to throw something in here man i don't know where to start other than um on the, I'll start with the parents. Um, yeah. The gap between parents that are concerned versus parents that think that it's the government or the school's job only is is the widening is is widening fast. And what I fear is um, the parents that really want the best. First of all, I think most parents want the best for their kids, but sometimes yeah. getting really involved is a different issue. And um, I think the parents that are wanting best for their kids are asking what is the point of school? And, and I'm not saying that to be dismissive as in wh what are our schools doing them for them to prepare them for the future? Cause that is the most cliche and correct answer of, you know, education to prepare them for the future. The compliance based sit down, shut up. There's a lot of pushback. There's a lot of parents going, Hey, there's, there's no, there's no future in that. Um, being able to focus on innovation. I think entrepreneurship mindset is huge. And those that are willing to put the time and effort into there, I, those, those students are, are getting leaps and bounds ahead. That all being said, I also think that um, there's a, a huge opportunity for students that don't have involved parents, um, but <laughs> it's the culture of the school. And I also think that's just a, a huge problem as well is that, you know, I, 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 I visit hundreds of high schools in a year and you can walk into a building and feel the culture. You you can tell whether like and, and it's a, always a chicken or the egg scenario. Are the students out of control because they're treated like prisoners, or does the school have to do that because the students are out of control? And 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 yet at the same time, um, I've been visiting schools that that, uh, that they have like half day innovation camps or whatever, and the students act totally different because the culture of the school is totally different. And I think that's a bigger issue is that more and more we're asking ourselves with all the AI and all these other things that are coming out, 
are these tools going to help prepare our, our students for the future? Or are we simply going to use all the school time to have really compliant kids where they follow the rules as they used to be and not necessarily looking towards things that could be or will be in the near future? Don, thanks so much. Brilliant contribution. Um, feel free to stick around if you want. I'll bring you in in a bit. Um, I'm going to go to Daisy next, who's had a hand up for quite a while. Um, yeah, so like I, I, I just agree with all of it. Like I, I agree with so much of it. But just bringing it back to the teacher perspective, just bringing it back to the boots mm. on the ground here. Like, yeah. like wh- what, how do we... I like I love I, I'm so in agreement that yeah we've got to make the rules clear we have to do this we have yeah. to stand our ground but what do you do when you are doing your best to stand your ground the toilets are getting smashed there's there's damage to the school building the local authority is shouting that you can't exclude these kids you can't do this you can't do that and then you've got parents that won't engage and then you end up in this in this just this loop of of managed moves and students coming back round and failed mm. you know failed suspensions and and you know because you've got this it, it's literally like one of those horror film rooms where the walls are coming in and you know the SLT like my word I take my hat off to them but yeah but but they are capped they're limited in what they can do it's I you know yeah. I worked in a school in an exceptionally deprived area. And the fact of the matter is you can put your foot down all you want, but these parents, you know, some of these parents and some of some of these situations, it doesn't work. And then in that instance, what then? What then? Because the next step in standing your ground, if if a student is consistently breaking the rules, consistently not following expectations, what do you do? Because we're not allowed to exclude. We're not allowed to 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 you know there is limits on that the local authority are very very clear and in that case then what then you know well, i think you this is this is this was exactly the point of the show i'm not sure we've got anywhere with it yet. yeah but we've we've certainly i mean to be fair i think we've thrown some ideas around certainly I, yeah I, like it's, it's definitely made me think like you know how clear are the rules sometimes? Do we get parents in and do we make it really clear? And I definitely think that Paul has made a really good point of like, you know, are are we doing enough to set our stall out at the beginning? But my question is just, what do we do then when that's want, not enough? I want to throw out a question to everyone. I'll go to Paul with this, actually. He's had his hand up for ages. Then I'm going to go to Ryan. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about EduPrize, hopefully, in, in a couple of minutes. Paul, if you want to unmute yourself, I'll start with you on this one. But I wanted to ask everybody as well, Don, Catherine, everybody, um, if we had unlimited money and an unlimited pile of resources, or depending on your opinion, that the government actually spent more of it on education rather than other things, right? Whatever you whatever you believe. But if we had an unlimited pile of money, could we solve these issues? Look, can I voice an unpopular opinion here, Tom? I'm going to say the um limited pile of money is not going to do you much good here. Now, that might seem difficult to understand. However, my perspective is from a Tasmanian and Australian position, I've just seen the government dump another $12 billion into education and uh, STEM training specifically, and we've seen science and math scores depreciate, go down by 22%. Now, you can track spending and student achievement, and they're almost always inversely related. 
what does that mean? Well, it's, it doesn't mean that we should stop funding schools, of course. What I think it shows us, Tom, is that there are solutions to this problem that lie outside the government's role. OK, I think we need a we need if we, if we wind back again with my amateur sociologist hat again, a lot of roles that were traditionally done by families and small community groups are now being co-opted by the government. And the government is not doing a very good job at them mm. because it's not really something that the government necessarily should be doing. If you if you think back in the day, your safety, the safety of your family was your responsibility right? as a family member. All of a sudden you have police and that's great. They're there to help you keep your family safe. But as soon as you step back and say, now it's only, it's not my responsibility. It's only the government's job to keep my family safe. Well, you're in a bit of trouble there. And the same thing has happened with education. I'm, I'm grateful to God for all kinds of different schools. Don't get me wrong. But if that leads anyone to step back entirely and say, well, now it's a government's job to educate my son or daughter. Well, I think we've really missed the trick there. We need to go at a level that's lower than government. That will be more effective. There are really three key stakeholders in schools, and that's students, teachers, and parents. Okay? Think of it like this, Tom. Think of it as a three-legged stool. And so if you've got no buy-in from students and no buy-in from parents, people are looking at that stool and going, that's a rubbish stool. And you're going, well, the stool's just fine. It's just only got one leg. All right? We actually can't solve this problem with more dollars because it relates to buy-in from students and mm. buy-in from families. And that's where we need to be on the front foot of schools, educating our students, educating our families. We need to say, you, student, you, family, you are not a consumer. You are a co-worker, all right? We need your help for this. We cannot do this without you. We could have all the money in the world. We could have a one-to-one student-teacher ratio and if the families don't want to know us and the students don't want to learn, it will all be worthless. So I think that's a really the, the key point for me is education to students, to families saying, as I've said over and over again, you are not consumers. You are co-workers and we need your help if we're going to actually make a fist of this and do well. Yeah, I really like that. Um, I'm going to bring Ryan in now. Ryan, good evening. Good evening, Tom. How are you doing? Not too bad. And yourself? Yeah, I'm doing really well. And I'm really, I'm loving the conversation. Um, uh, it's, I'm, you know, ears have been pinged back the whole time. Super. Uh, kind of, yeah, it's been, it's been a fantastic well, conversation. Tell me a bit about you and any thoughts you've had on anything we've talked about so far. Yeah, so um, we work with uh, schools and multi-academy trusts around their kind of digital marketing communications. And uh, it's it's really liked um, hearing the uh, Catherine talked about, and she said this word really, really early on, and that was humanize. Mm. And I think um, for me, um, creating audience and engagement is uh, is about creating empathy, and, and, and to create empathy, you need to kind of humanise things. Um, and I, it's been, uh, it's been, I can hear the frustrations in some people, which are like, I, I, I cannot get this person to do this, or we cannot get this person parent to accept. And I, I absolutely, I recognise that, and, and and we've kind of worked with schools and trusts and in situations and crisis management when when that happens. And, uh, you know, there are just, I, I'm going to throw it out there, there are just some people that are just 
you cannot help. They're not going to, they don't want help. <laughs> you know, they mm. are not prepared to engage. But um, going back to, uh, if I can, just just um, the kind of topic, um, there's a couple of things that, that things I would recommend to this evening's listeners and uh, to, to kind of look into. And the first thing is, um, is around that kind of, uh, and if anyone has read up on it, transactional analysis. So uh, it's really interesting to listen to Paul talk and he talks about teacher, parent, child. Well, transactional analysis is about a parent, adult, child kind of state of communication and the, uh, the way in which an individual talks to another individual and, and, and trying to get uh, recognising the angle or the state that they're uh, talking to that person. And it doesn't necessarily mean that um, you're, you're physically a parent talking to a child. It's, it's you are an individual and you're talking in a parental-like state. And if you talk to a parental-like state, I can be an adult and I can be in receipt of the conversation and I can feel like a child because of the way the kind of the tone of and the style of communication. Now, interestingly, one of the things that that creates in uh, the, to the listener. So if I'm in a childlike state, I can either be what's called a free child or I can three states, free child, adaptive child or rebellious child. So depending on how you're talking as an adult, I can be either like, wow, this is great. Thank you for helping me. Um, I can be slightly uh, distracted and I can be dismissive of it and I can be absolutely rebellious. I can actually, it can impede the conversation and inhibit the kind of action. And you think you're, you're helping me, but actually just the tone, the manner in which you're delivering that information can actually cause me to go into a subconscious state where I'm actually rejecting everything that you're saying, even though it's totally logical and rational and it makes sense, you know, on any other day of the week. So I would say it's, you know, communication for us is very much around thinking about the state, getting the individual into you so that you're having a peer conversation like this adult to adult. And that allows you to humanize everything uh, and, and use kind of emotional uh, kind of states like empathy, conviction, passion, but also gives you the opportunity to listen to the person as well. And because... Um, you know, people generally want to be heard. That's one of the big things. If if you're in a listening kind of state um, and emptying that person out and getting allowing them to unload, even if you're just just absorbing that will allow you to actually better communicate with that person as well. So that's the other thing. Don't rush in with your words too quickly. Let that person unload first so that they've they've got it off their chest and that they're open to receipt of information. That's spot on. I mean, I mean, I think I think there are there are probably tactics and strategies that that schools and teachers can use with parents like like you've just given a really good one there in terms of when there is a parental challenge complaint, whatever you want to call it. And you've got to manage that situation, which happens probably daily. Like Catherine has probably done this a million times and she's got a hand up. Uh, Catherine, do you want to unmute? Do you want to do you want to say something to Ryan there? Oh, Ryan, I, I could I could speak with you all evening. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, th this whole question about, you know, bringing much greater parental accountability. Um, Tom, you gave me a great big pot of cash and I just want to go out and spend it now. So one of the first things I would spend it on without a shadow of a doubt is decent paternity leave, both for dads, 
both for mums, getting that bond right from the beginning where you can grow and um, nurture your child from the very beginning what ultimately instills in them um, a sense that they want to please and they and they want to and they want to do the right thing by by their loving um, parent that they're bonded to really really well we also need to really really invest in making sure that our mums are really looked after in those you know in those first few years of, of bringing up their children and the huge demands that places on women um, we need to invest in our playgrounds. We need, we need to make. Is the connection totally lost, or am I the one on here? So, oh, oh no, Don, no, we can still hear. I can still hear Catherine. I think you might have gone Indianapolis <laughs> wild. Can you hear me, Don? I can hear you, and you're the only person I can hear. Can Can our admin hear Catherine? Because I can. Yes, admin yeah. is saying they can. I don't know, Don. Try try coming out and then yeah. coming back in again. That's what okay. we do on this thing. Anyone listening to this as a podcast is probably going to be very confused right now with what the hell's <laughs> going on. But you know, you'll, you'll catch you'll get the drift. You'll get the drift as we go ahead. Catherine, carry on. Um, yeah, we've we've just employed. Um, we really can't afford it, but we, but we absolutely know we need to invest in it. We've just employed a families matters teacher, and her role is purely to work with our families. We need to engage our families. We need to get. We need to get them on side. And, you know, we've, we've invested in her because we need her. Um, so in answer to the ultimate question, you know, get, getting students and parents to take more accountability, we need to invest in them. And easier said than done, but the whole Scandinavian model, I really think, values parents. It puts parents in the driving seat from day one that their family and their child is important and, and they need investing in. If if I can just come in on Catherine's yeah, right, point, I, I, you know, I completely agree. I think, I think, in, in, listen, uh, you know, the majority of parents out there want to see their son or daughter excel and, and, and achieve. Like, you know, not everyone is like that. I'm sure all of you can point out at exceptions. But, but if, you know, um, one of the big challenges that I see is a lot of times, again, working with schools and with trusts is that we're always handling difficult conversations on the back foot because there, there hasn't been the stipulation of information or understanding a policy or process or expectations or standards right at the beginning. And what I do find as well is because they say, oh, it's up on my website, you know, or it's, um, there, there is a policy document that's there. There was, you know, let's face it. I mean, how many parents trawl? I mean, even <laughs> how many parents trawl through the school website to look at all the policies to understand exactly what's going on and the standards that they don't. And I, and I think it's it, it, it's naive to think that we can just say that to parents and they'll just go away and read it. Because to be honest, have you ever read your Apple or Android terms and conditions when you signed up for your new phone? Um, you know, uh, probably not. And so how do we set the stall, uh, um, set the standards, communicate that, articulate? And more importantly, how do we consistently remind those parents over and over and over again that this is this is the expectation? Because it's not just about saying it once. It's about the continual reinforcement of these key messages that let them know that these standards haven't slipped. They're not changed. They're still expected. You know, how do we go about that? That's one of the big questions, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you, Ryan, with, with working with, with EduPrize, um, and by the way, everybody, if you want to find out more about, about Ryan and EduPrize, the, the tweet is pinned, we've pinned it to the top of the space, so anybody can just scroll up and have a look, or if you listen to this as a podcast, the link will be in the in the show notes for this episode. Um, but I was, going to, I was going to ask you, Ryan, you've worked with a lot of schools and trusts to improve parent behaviour, because we've established that that can be an issue um, in terms of the sort of... Uh, parents lambasting teachers or whatever what what techniques have been successful for you in in trying to like deal with that for teachers and schools yeah so um so i think first of all thinking about when we when we think about content and communications we think about purpose audience channel structure that's our kind of format if you like purpose audience channel structure so what is the purpose of what, what, why we're trying to communicate and the purpose is not I want parents to improve behavior you know the behavior of their child or their own personal behavior or it, it, it's it's thinking about like what's in it for them as an individual um how can they how how am I going to sell sell it to them almost and I know sales is a bit of a weird word in education but you are selling everything ironically mm-hmm. it's, it's the kind of environment where you are selling education every day all the time and, and, and I think uh, understanding that pitch to, the, to, to your audience, not what do I want to tell them or but how can I get them to listen to me? That's kind of key, that subtle switch. Thinking about the channel that you're going to deliver on, a written letter, it's very, very hard to write a written letter well and include uh, emotion, sentence structure, tone of voice, um, mm. Not to mention all the kind of emotive pieces, especially when you're tired, you're doing it late at night, you're doing it on a Sunday, you're doing it after an you know, exhaustive day. So thinking about the channel. Yes, if you can get face to face. But if you can't, you know, can we go to can we do something like a, a crowdcast or, you know, something that's that where you're, they're seeing your face or an individual's face or head or and then you're able to lean on body language and tone and your voice to actually add conviction to some of that communication. Should we be using, and this is one of the big things we use, we use a lot of social media. So rather than thinking about, oh, I'm putting it on the web page, which is thinking about, you know, the average adult spends between two and a half and three and a half hours a day on some sort of social channel. We're listening tonight on Twitter, you know, how do I put in content into, as a school, into that feed of communications, which they are going to be there. Nobody wants to go and live in their their child's kind of app, you know, school communications app. That's very much that's great for notifications. And that's one of the big things we say, you know, that's great for notification. Bring your bring your trainers in tomorrow. It's not forest school day. You know, we need 50p for the, uh, you know, uh, Mufti day, whatever it is like. That's great at those sorts of alerts. But no parent's going to go and spend some time in there but they are absolutely living in social media. So how do we get into that feed? How do we reach them where they're hanging out and, and, and continually emphasize key points about behavior, expectations, standards, but also showcasing the amazing work that you're doing inside the school, you know, showing that you're delivering this fantastic curriculum, showing them the science projects, showing mm. them this performance, showcasing the, value of the education delivery because there's nobody that goes into a school and doesn't go wow this is awesome right you know really and and i think if you can turn your school inside out and you can showcase it as best as you possibly can and all the great work 
it also helps reduce that apathy, reduce those that those barriers, the, the the kind of the internal stigma that an individual might have with their relationship with education. It starts to break those down, and we are seeing from this continual, consistent messaging, you know, actually out, outward facing communications. We're seeing that it, and being proactive before it gets to crisis point. That's absolutely uh, turning the dial on parent-teacher-student relationships. Well, spot on. Listen, I mean, it's, it's been brilliant just, just hearing that um, in, in the short time we've had. If anybody wants to find out more, by the way, about Ryan or EduPrize, you can go to eduprize.co.uk and find out more. Um, I will come back to you, Ryan, maybe if we've got time, um, just one last time. Um, but we are, we've got about maybe, well, we'll, we'll overrun if Nathan will let me. Um, on on the admin, we we might overrun by five minutes. Oh, he's fine with it. He's on half term. He's on half term. He doesn't care. He, he's sitting back right now drinking a cocktail. He literally couldn't care less. Um, Paul, you've had your hand up for a while. Uh, go for it. Look, I'll uh, I'll say this as some parting words, Tom. So, oh, hello, uh, right, go I've, on. I've, you've got I've got to, haven't you? You've got it's not a mic do. drop moment. Yeah, well, that's right. I've got a staff meeting to go to and then I'm teaching for the rest of the day. So I'll, <laughs> I'll say this. First of all, um, thank you so much for having me on. It's been a real treat and I uh, I hope I get the chance to do it again. I've, I've learned a lot. Um, look, if ever I'm, if ever I'm uh, preaching at a local church, for example, I have a method that I call the spray and pray. So I'm going to hit you with three or four things and just hope <laughs> some of them make sense to you, okay? Um, so just some, some scattershot ways of involving parents and building parent buy-in in your school. First of all, uh, you want to hear the parents. So when I have students um, in my class for the very first time, I teach a lot in the secondary school over and over, but for the very first time, I, I book a parent meeting and I get them in and I say, um, they expect me to tell them about their child. No, thanks. I want to hear about your child from you. So I'm automatically putting the parent in the driver's seat. They're the subject matter ex- expert on their on their child. Okay, so you yeah. want to hear the parents, treat them as the expert. That will start to yeah. bed its way down into the DNA over time. Secondly, you want to train the parents. I don't think it's much good if I say, "All right, Mr. Jones, you need to help little Billy with his literacy. Can I count on your support for that?" what you actually need to do is have a far longer conversation because Mr. Jones might not actually know what to do. Say, I'm packing a few extra readers in his bag. If you could do, um, if you could do five minutes twice a day, four days a week, and maybe once a month, if you could head down to the local library and borrow out anything, whether it's a magazine or a comic, and then talk with him about how he's finding it. So you might actually need to scaffold parents so that they can actually feel excited about helping the students of course we know from john hattie and the visible learning material that actually one of the key drivers of motivation is feeling competent yeah Uh, lastly last in the in the shotgun spray and pray um (laughs) i think you want to celebrate parents so if you've got a school newsletter if you've got a school mural or a school notice board you want to be making the families that you appreciate really visible because it's all all well and good to say our families don't appreciate being part of the school um, how are you showing them that you appreciate them? How are you celebrating the families and, and the parents and caregivers in your community? So if you're able to hear the parents, train the parents and thank the parents, I think that'll go a long way. It might not change things overnight, 
but I reckon that will have some lasting change as you embed those rhythms into the DNA of your school. Well, Paul, that spray and pray, I'll tell you, got more hearts off Catherine than your average lad on Valentine's on the 14th of February. It was a, a huge amount of hearts coming from, from many people, actually, in your direction for that. Catherine, are you loving that from Paul? I am loving it. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on my way to get a job. I'm packing the kids up. The husband's coming with me. I am coming to work with Paul. <laughs> Paul, you've achieved your goal of making everyone want to elope to Oz. And not that they don't already, you know, but hey, well done. Um, listen, Paul, it's been an absolute blast having you on. You've been an absolutely fantastic guest. So thank you very much indeed. And I hope to hear from you again sometime soon. All right, take care. God bless. I will. Uh, I look forward to it. Talk soon. Cheers, Paul. Bye-bye. Uh, Catherine, do you have any final words or things that you'd like to share in the same manner that Paul has? I was just slightly disappointed that Paul didn't agree to give me a job. <laughs> <laughs> now, listen, Catherine, your school needs you. You've been a fantastic <laughs> guest. You've, you've said some amazing things. Your school needs you. You've got to stay. Oh, and I love my school. Um, I, I guess my, my the thing as a parent, as well as a teacher, I just think human first. Acknowledge that we're all trying damn hard. Both parents, teachers, we're in it together. It's you know we're 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 all trying really hard, and let's work together. Yeah, brilliant, Catherine. Thanks ever so much. I'm not sure we've cracked it all. But we've 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 come up with some ideas. We've had a bit of a discussion. We 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 you know we parent student accountability. We we we've done something. You know, I feel like we've achieved something. So thanks for being a part of that. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Cheers, Catherine. Speak again. Bye. Oh, uh, Daisy, and then Ryan. We're going to finish off with you, if that's okay. So, Daisy, do you have any final thoughts or words or anything you share based on the chat today? Perfect timing because it's gone midnight here and I'm I'm hanging on. Um yeah, I would I echo everything. Like I think it is such a team effort. Um but for me, uh, my thing is I just I just hope that this teacher accountability situation, I hope the gravity of it is perceived by more people. Um I hope that you know, we don't have a magic wand. We can't fix these societal issues that we have, especially in the UK at the moment. And I just hope that the gravity of of the effect it is having on our education system, you know, with it being this almost self-fulfilling prophecy, is perceived by other people. Because, you know, I hope that it is, you know, somebody commented basically saying that, like, are we preparing students for the wider world in terms of being told no and setting them up and things? And and I just hope that people appreciate that teachers are doing their absolute best yeah. with, with yeah. the current situation. And that, you know, I, I in an ideal world, we would be a three-legged stool. But at the moment, I think the reality does not feel like that for a lot of teachers. And I think that as long as that's perceived and recognised, maybe a little more, then, it, you know, we might just get through it. Yeah. Daisy, you're spot on as always. Uh, thanks very much for coming on. Uh, when are you coming on to host TTR, Daisy? When are you coming back? Um, I actually probably can come back very soon. There we go. So we, 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 we can message about this. It's a deal. Good. Okay. Now, right, uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, Ryan, coming back to you, you've got the final, final word. 
Oh, well, how do I finish? <laughs> um, yeah, I know. Uh, so there was a there was a presidential speechwriter called James Hughes, and uh, he he said a very uh, I think an an apt kind of quote that uh, I just want to speak say to tonight's listeners, which is the art of communication is the language of leadership. The art of communication is the language of leadership. And I think, you know, if you're doing all, all, you're all doing a fantastic job, anybody working in schools, everybody working in schools, um, you know, teachers, support staff, uh, administrative, senior leaders, you know, caretakers, estates, everybody's doing a fantastic job. Um, And you are, you know, leading the development of the next generation of our next uh, society, you know, um, and if 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 there's one thing that I think I, I would ask you to think about and maybe investigate more is just how are you communicating? What does good communication look like? Um, you know, how can you reach your audiences and get them as passionate about the outcomes and the de- education delivery to our next society as 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 you as you do with each other um i'm not saying it's easy i'm not saying it's going to happen tomorrow but i think if we can if you can do that and you can get somebody like me <laughs> who was never great at school but absolutely just loves working alongside schools you know now um and and making uh, contributing making a difference then if you can do that with somebody like me and you can do it with everyone else, then I think we'll, we'll, we will get there. We will definitely get there together. Fantastic, Ryan. Um, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks to Prize for supporting the show today uh, alongside John Cat. It's, it's been brilliant. Ryan, thank you ever so much for talking thank you, John. as well and for sharing your insights because I know it was appreciated by many people here. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's been brilliant. Uh, to everyone who's just joined, uh, like I know we've had probably four or five people who've just joined in the last 10 minutes. This will be available as a recording on the same link that you clicked on to join it. So in, as soon as we finish it, you can click that same link and just press play and it'll start from the very beginning if you want to listen back to, to everything that's been said. And it was a great conversation. Really, really enjoyed it. It'll also be available as a podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the rest of it. So if you follow Teachers Talk Radio, wherever you get your podcast from, uh, whether that be Podbean or Apple or, or, or Spotify, just follow TTR. And this episode will be appearing at some point, either tonight or tomorrow morning, so you can listen back to it uh, at your own leisure. Um as always, uh, a massive thanks to everyone who has listened along and contributed. If you've got a comment on the show today, then you can just tweet it and use the hashtag, hashtag TT Radio, or tag in TT Radio Official to have your say. And it'd be wonderful if anyone here wants to be a guest on a future show. If that's you, just visit the website, ttradio.org, hit the contact tab, and get in touch, get involved. Maybe you'd like to host yourself. Uh, we have slots available for hosts still. So if that's something you'd like to do, definitely get in touch on that. And we also excitedly next Friday night have the NEU Leaders Debate hosted by Tom Hopkins Burke um, with uh, the two candidates to be NEU uh, president uh, who will both be appearing in our debate. That's next Friday, the 3rd of March at 7.30 p.m. 
make sure you tune into that. We'll be we'll be promoting it in the coming weeks. Uh, it's been great. Thank you, Nathan, for administrating. And we will see you again on Teachers Talk Radio tomorrow for more live. You've talk. been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.